Hey y'all, it's Danielle. And Tykeen and I want to welcome you to our third official episode of Ain't No Free Lunch. That's right, we're three weeks into the game. Again, thank you to everyone who's been listening. We appreciate your support more than you know. However, we do have one quick favor to ask. Go review and rate our podcast on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the higher chance we have of people who stumble across our podcast to listen. And we definitely want that. Two things about this week's episode. First, we recorded early on a Saturday morning, so forgive our initial sluggishness as we wake up. And believe me, we definitely do wake up. Second, we want to give a trigger warning for discussions about rape and sexual assault. Tykeen and I were floored by the rape committed by Brock Turner, the former Stanford swimmer, and the lack of justice carried out by the courts in that situation. We will be discussing the details of the case and ultimately exploring the cataclysmic disaster that happens when white privilege meets rape culture. All right, let's see. So what's up? How are you? I'm good. Pretty early in the morning. <laughs> well, it looks like if you want to do anything this weekend, um, you have to do it pretty early in the morning because it's going to be 100 degrees. Yo, it's going to be out of control. I'm taking the kids to King's Dominion on Monday. I'm not excited. I can't invite you to a field trip. How are you going to get there? I'll be a chaperone. We already have chaperones. They're called teachers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Touche. So we officially have a presumptive nominee from the good side, the Democratic. I don't side even. President. I don't even want to talk about it for real. I'm in my feelings. Eight years to the day after conceding she was unable to shatter that highest, hardest glass ceiling, Hillary Clinton is embracing her place in history, finally crashing through as the first woman to lead a major party in the race for the White House. We are on the brink of a historic, historic, unprecedented moment. Oh, are you not with her? I mean... Hashtag I'm with her. Oh, well, everybody knows Tykeen is hashtag I'm with her. So, here's the thing. I understand, like, people were always, you know, saying, like, Bernie is out of touch. Bernie doesn't have any plans for what he, what he wants to do. But I was a Bernie fan. I liked a lot of what he had to say, and honestly, I, let me backtrack. I'm not even a Bernie fan. I wasn't a fan of any of the nominees, honestly. I decided that I was going to roll with Bernie, because have you been on, like, isidewith.org? I think we did that. So isidewith.org is this website that you kind of go in and you answer all these questions about your political views and how you feel about X, Y, and Z, and... It spits back out a candidate to you that aligns with what you said. I think I agreed with what Bernie Sanders had to say probably 96% of the time. So just like... So you're a socialist. Basically, I am a socialist, a democratic socialist. And I can say that without shame. But I sided with him probably 96% of the time. And this was like early on in the in the race when I thought I was going to be a Martin O'Malley fan. Just, but I'm pretty sure that I just liked him because he was cute. You stopped liking Martin O'Malley once he said hashtag all lives. I did, but I actually did I side with Org prior to him saying that. But guess what? It's 2016. We have a woman. We do, and it's. I'm really excited about that. Don't get me wrong. At the same time, though, I'm not feeling Hillary. I've never been a Hillary fan. She comes off as like not personable. I'm not going to say she's not qualified because hands down she is qualified to be the president of the United States. I will never take that away from her. Well, President Obama says she's probably the most qualified person. To and ever President Obama's endorsement did not make me want to vote for her anymore. So I want those of you who've been with me from the beginning of this incredible journey to be the first to know that I'm with her. I am fired up and I cannot wait to get out there and campaign for Hillary. I think I actually tweeted that. So, like I, I was not excited. So are you one of those Bernie or bust? Okay, people? so no. Um, I feel like the Bernie or bust movement is dumb. 
<laughs> like, I'm just going to put it on the table. It doesn't make sense to me. I think people who engage in Bernie or bust are people who engage in it from a point of privilege. So if you are more than, if you're a Bernie or bust person, not to say that you have to be this, but I'm probably going to say 95% of the time you are a cisgendered, white, like heterosexual male who lives comfortably. And a Trump presidency is not going to have the same type of negative impact as it will on communities of color, communities that come from disadvantaged places. Donald Trump's presidency, I am happily, I will say, I'm voting against Donald Trump more than I am voting for Hillary Clinton. I'm not a Bernie or Bust person. It doesn't make sense. You know, I, I, I don't know if I can accept that generalization, though. You know, I have a lot of friends that you know it's still early and I'm still working on them but I have a lot of friends from a number of different backgrounds even some including the LGBTQ community that are saying that hey it's burning a bust they said the only way that they will vote for Secretary Clinton is if Bernie that doesn't make sense to me it almost seems like from what I found is the majority of people who are Bernie or bus busters are people who actually don't have that much to lose underneath a Trump presidency. People who genuinely will be like marginalized from the, dis the disparaging legislation that he could be able to pass within the two years, just the first two years, because we have to remember, like I think people kind of don't understand the legislative process. If we have a Republican president presiding over a Republican Congress, they're gonna pass whatever they want. And those, just those first two years, from 2017 to about 2018, 19, before we have re-elections, that, that could be a wiping out, like, two years. It could be completely problematic. And even if they're not, like, within that scope that I named, they're probably sitting on some other form of privilege that allows them to say that a Trump presidency would be as terrible as a Clinton presidency. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in the future, but the thing that I've been trying to tell them is that if you, if we elect Secretary Clinton as our next president, at least we have a chance of accomplishing some of the things that Senator Sanders has been running on. But with the Trump presidency, like, you can forget that. You can forget anything progressive. And Bernie has pushed her to, to the left. Pushed her way to the left. But, but honestly, this is my thing. And I feel like not to discredit Senator Sanders or anything that he's accomplished. I mean, however, you don't win the presidency by being extreme to the left. So then why? Extreme wait, right. extreme to the right? Donald Trump? Oh, okay. You don't I win the presidency that, that way. But, but that's the Republican Party has set up like a precedence now that for you to win their nomination primarily mm -hmm. because of the Tea Party to win their nomination you have to be super extreme and then you try to come back to to the center so I'd argue that President Obama probably would not have won re-election if Mitt Romney didn't have to go so far to the right well I mean their that's nomination. their base though their core of the core of the Republican Party is very far to the right. What, the what core it of it, the voters, that the the group of people that come out in the largest of numbers. But it's almost it's almost like the forty seven percent. You know, he he knew that he already had the core regardless. But for him to win the nomination, and I'm afraid that Senator Sanders is going to create the super liberal wing of the Democratic Party that will be the equivalent I think he already of has. the Tea Party. It just doesn't have a name yet. I'm just saying, he is it's there. Yeah, unofficially. But I'm afraid that that's kind of their goal by saying, hey, I'm going to run until the... Right. The I, see, here's my thing. I have been tweeting, I love this new hashtag, the girl I guess I'm with her hashtag, because that's literally where I'm standing. I've actually had this conversation with m multiple people. Because I can't say that I'm like a Bernie stan or a Bernie bro, I do feel like it's time for him to step aside. I'm not even arguing for a Bernie Sanders VP. And some people might call me like illegitimate in my support of him for that. But at the end of the day, like Hillary can't control Bernie Sanders. 
Like, not only that, do you want a VP that outshines you as a president? Like, how delegitimizing is that? Well, I I think it's that's a little bit exact. He totally would outshine like, her in rhetoric. He really She's so stiff and boring. I fall asleep listening to her. But if he if he had outperformed her, he would have more votes mm -hmm. than her. You know, that's the thing about a lot of these a lot of these Bernie Bros, Bernie stands. You know, they keep talking about how popular he is, and they keep talking about the democratic process. And I'm happy to talk to anyone, messages, DMs, mentions, etc., about the process. Sanders knew the process when he joined, but this is not. Like, you know, they say, oh, she's just beating him because of superdelegates. No, she has more pledge delegates. Oh, that's a flawed process. No, she has more votes. Like, I'm not arguing that right at now. all. But you have to understand that there is an enthusiasm that surrounds Bernie Sanders that doesn't surround Hillary Clinton. People who are voting for Hillary Clinton haven't been as enthusiastic. If you disaffect those Bernie Sanders followers completely, she is not winning the presidency. Point blank. So there needs to be a happy medium. Because he, the young voters will stay at and, and, home. And, you have a huge group of people who feel disaffected by their votes for Barack Obama, feeling like they were going to get this liberal president, like super liberal president, which is not what he promised. He promised something, you know, he ran on moderacy. But at the same time, people are super disaffected. If you push them too far to the, to the to, off to the side and say that, oh, Hillary is has the majority vote, then they'll be like, okay, let her win the presidency without us then. And actually, and I'm in the minority here, but I truly believe that she sh that she should select him. I honestly I don't. I really don't. I think she needs and it's so funny, I just finished saying that she doesn't want somebody who's gonna outshine her. I don't I don't know. I'm from Virginia. I love Tim Kaine on the low tip, but Elizabeth Warren no. is what's being pushed no. for her right now, and no. that is the pit bull. No, like she is coming, she is swinging. She seems you can say no all you no. want to, but she is so much more authentic than Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton seems to me like like a robot. So I think Sen I think Senator Kane definitely has some appeal. However, I think he'd be the safe pick. I don't think that he brings much to the table, like. And mm. As far as Virginia being a swing state, I think Governor McAuliffe will already do everything in his power to. But he's sure not Virginia as popular as Tim Kaine, is he? Um, you know his infrastructure and everything. So I, I mean, I think the entire Democratic Party of Virginia, like we will be very, very active this year to ensure that Virginia's blue. So I think if she's going to pick someone from a swing state, it's, it should be a swing state where she doesn't have the type of rapport that she already has with the chief executive from Virginia. So a swing state like Ohio or Pennsylvania, she got a Democrat from there. I don't think Senator Warren is the answer. I remember back in 08 and people were saying, oh, Senator Obama should select Senator Clinton. Yeah. And my grandfather, God rest his soul, he said, he said, the dream team, <laughs> I won't even vote for that. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, I'm all for feminism, but I don't know if the rest of the country will vote for two women. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I they like will. Him. I, don't know. I mean, Donald Trump's already said that, hey, I'm not more than, well, not, he didn't say it, but like a person on his high ranking on his staff, I forget who it was, said they're more than likely not picking a woman or a minority because they feel like that would be pandering. So we already know he's running a white male ticket. Like, and he's already said, that's pandering. So Hillary Clinton, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like. We'll have this conversation later over the yeah. summer. We'll have to go more into detail with that. I just know, I guess I'm with her by default. I'm not even with her. I'm girl, against Trump. Girl, you, girl, you with her. I'm not. <laughs> like, let's not play that game at all. Like, I'm, I'm just unenthused. Like, in a way that I feel like I'm just, I've never been unenthused. Well, we're gonna work on that. We're gonna have to. I mean, I'm not gonna not vote. Like, I'm gonna put that out there. I'm gonna vote, but. 
I don't know, third party candidates. What's up? So basically, you're going to vote for Trump? <laughs> no, I'm voting okay, against so Trump. So a vote not for Clinton is essentially a vote for Trump? No, that's not how party politics work. So you like Jill Sign? I'm going to investigate all of my options. Yes. Well, you know, I'm not a... I'm not a surrogate for the Clinton campaign, but we'd love to earn yeah. your vote. And and we can work on that. I was really here for Hillary at one point. She had all them black women writers, but then she just keeps dropping the ball. And I just, there are times where I'm like, yes, I feel this. And then there are other times so I'm see, like, so I have to turn So Sanders has dropped the ball numerous times? Oh, he has dropped the ball numerous times. But the difference between Sanders and Clinton is that I know that I fundamentally agree with a lot of his, like, socialist policies that he's bringing through. This is, or would this like is to. A, a direct call to action for the Clinton campaign. No, Tyke for real. Cooper Step your game up. National surrogate. I'll, I'll bring <laughs> to you what Nina Turner brings to the Sanders campaign and more. All I'm saying is step your game up. You got until November. We're going to earn your vote. I'm not even worried about you. Uh, okay. They, see? You see how they talk to me? You see we, how they talk to you? We will earn your vote. You, you hear that? I'm with her. And I guess I'm with her. So, as I said in the intro, Coop and I are going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff that's been in the news lately, like all over the media. I first heard about it on Twitter, as I hear about everything first <laughs> on Twitter, but it's talking about the, uh, the rape case that's coming out of California involving the 20-year-old rapist, Brock Turner. And I just wanted rapist. Yes, convicted. This is not alleged, convicted. Not only that, there are witnesses to the action. So what I'm going to start us off with is there was a 12-page letter that was written and read to, I guess, the defendant, Brock Turner, in court by the 23-year-old unidentified woman whom he assaulted, Pri who he raped. Prior to the sentencing. Right, prior to the sentencing, he had already been convicted at this point. So it, his her letter starts off with, you don't know me, but you've been inside me, and that's why we're here today. The tw I can't read you the whole letter. You have to go find it for yourself. I think she released it to BuzzFeed. That's where I saw it. It is some powerful, gut-wrenching things. Like, I had to take multiple breaks while reading that. Like, multiple breaks. But just to give you a little background, but on a night in January of 2015, two Swedish Stanford graduate students, I believe they were like riding their bikes, they came across Brock, they came across Brock Turner humping a unconscious and half-naked woman behind a dumpster. They basically had to run him down, pin him, like hold him until police arrived. So there are witnesses, like he was basically held down he after someone saw it. He was in the act when it happened. And so it, there's there's been no question of whether or not this was sexual assault. So they he came up against three counts of sexual assault, which carried a maximum of 14 years in a state prison. So this is what's that's caused the most outrage, basically. The prosecutors asked for six years, even though there was a maximum of 14 years they could have asked for. They asked for him to receive six years. He was convicted. And the judge, Aaron Persky, is that how you say it? Persky? Yes, Persky uh, gave him six months in a county jail. Six months in a county jail for being caught in the act of raping a woman, sexually assaulting a woman. And now news reports are saying, it just I just saw this actually, that jail records are stating that he's gonna be released three months early. And he was just booked one week ago. 
So people are rightfully going so, insane. So about he'll this. be home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Basically. He will be home. So if he was booked a week ago, what is it, June, July, August, September, he'll be, I'll be starting school and he'll be walking home. Right. So I, I think it's definitely important to point out a little bit of background about Brock Turner. Brock right. Turner was a star athlete at Stanford. A swimmer. A swimmer. Whom a lot of people say had the potential to become like the next Michael Phelps. Olympian, yeah. Or whatever. Who cares? And... Judge Persky is also a Stanford alumnus. Wasn't he? He was like captain of the lacrosse team. Maybe? He was an elite athlete from Stanford. Yes, he was on. He's the captain of the lacrosse team. So that sounds like a conflict of interest. A huge me. conflict of interest. But he still presided over the case. Right. I don't know. That's that's really sketchy. I feel like I I really wonder whether or not the prosecutor asked him to recuse, recuse himself like they're basically the same like i'm not calling judge persky like a rapist i'm saying they're basically the same person outside of this incident just like years apart elite athletes stanford white males privileged background you know i read an article like two years ago with an, an affluenza case oh yeah and the contributor was basically saying that a lot of these judges in these types of cases, like they see themselves, they see their children, they see their grandchildren. Well, yeah, if they look and, like and them. So it's almost like they consider it a point of privilege because of the relatability between the judge and the defendant. Oh, absolutely. I definitely think that because like what, what did he say like was his reason for only giving him six months? Yeah, that he couldn't handle the... It would have, like, a disparate impact on him and his life. Which is, like, excuse if, if he me. he had a long prison sentence. Rape victim? What about her? Like, she... That doesn't go away. This woman, like, in the letter, she, she writes and she explains, like, I didn't even know what had happened to me when I was in the hospital. Like... Came through. Yeah, like, I, I woke up in the hospital, and I didn't know what was happening to me. They, she was saying that they were telling her, they were taking pictures of her, they were, you know... And she had to read about what happened to her the next day. Right. What? No, I... Well, I don't think that she found out... It was, like, a few days later. She read like it she in the newspaper. The news. She read yeah. it in the newspaper. Yeah, she read... Yeah, she was at work, read it in the newspaper, and then she had to call her family and tell them, don't watch the right. news. Right. Which is, I, I don't know, I just feel like in this case, everyone is more concerned about the rapist rather than the rape victim. And I know a lot of people were talking about kind of like, when, at the sentencing, they had to read like, a le I guess, letters of leniency for Brock. And Dan Turner has gotten the brunt of basically like everything for what he wrote about why his son should receive leniency. Oh, yeah. He, he called it 20 minutes of action. Right, right. Which he's recently come out and said, like, that's not what he meant. Like, he didn't mean to offend anybody. We, You wrote what you meant, Dan Turner. Like, let's let's be yeah. real. I, I'm I'm sure he edited it. They had their lawyers look right. at it. Like, so, but the thing about it is, Dan Turner's received, like, a whole lot of flack. Like, honestly, that was the first letter that I read. But at the same time... Like, have you read the other letters of leniency that other people have written for him? Oh, yeah. The grandparents said, and I quote, Brock is the only person being held accountable for the actions of other irresponsible adults. What other irresponsible? What What other irresponsible adults? Kids, like, literally, I read that and I was like, what are they talking about? There was one who was being a rapist. Yeah, but... Brock's mother, Carlene, uh. she said, oh, he was a shy and awkward 19-year-old far away from home trying to fit in with the swimmers he idolized, having lost everything he has ever worked for his entire life, and knowing the registry is a requirement for the rest of his life certainly is more than harsh. Yeah, so she doesn't even want him to register. Which is crazy. Like, What? And then you're talking about, the, like, trying to fit in with the other swimmers he idolized. I'm sorry, were they raping women behind dumpsters, too? Like, it, was that the trend? Is that is that a thing that we were all doing? Like, hey, let's go all get drunk and rape women behind dumpsters. If you don't, you're lame. Yeah. I think, 
I think they're trying to argue that, you know, there's this culture of alcoholism and making poor decisions on college campuses, and he shouldn't take the brunt because he was just being a stupid college student like so many other people. I, I think that's that is argument. their argument. It's flawed, it's stupid. But not to mention, we have a significant issue here that a lot of mainstream media isn't really covering. Brock Turner could potentially be a serial rapist. What? Stanford, like there was a report that came out earlier this week. Yeah, I totally missed this. At Stanford, there was a reported rape at once every 14 days until Brock Turner was arrested in January of 2015. Now, does it cover after January 2015? The trend has decreased significantly. And so oh, I'm not trying really? to... I, this is I, sketchy. I, I'm not implying, but I'm just saying that it's kind of ironic that they had... All, Sherlock Holmes, all, where you at? <laughs> they had all of these <laughs> rapes on campus... And then Brock Turner was arrested and exposed. And that's and crazy. No, but for real, Sherlock Holmes, where you at? <laughs> this is this is crazy. I actually hadn't heard that yet. It's it's crazy how they continue to try to 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 blame the culture rather than just playing placing blame on the person who did it. And and there is a rape culture and we're going to go into that and how that happens, but they also just try to blame alcohol. Like when I read through the request of leniency or like the character witnesses for Brock Turner, when I read through all of their statements, basically not one person, not one person acknowledges the impact this man has had on his victim. Well, well now. None. Well, hold on now. Let's be fair here. If you were be fair. if you were a defense attorney, would you allow someone that would keep it real to submit a statement like this? You know, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe not. I mean, but those, he allowed him to say. I mean, those people they probably just wouldn't write one. You know, like there was someone that I knew that had raped someone, and they wanted you know a character witness or a statement asking for leniency. I just wouldn't write one if if I didn't have anything to help his cause. What I'm saying is you can acknowledge what he's done while asking for leniency. Yeah. Do I think that, like, you can acknowledge yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree. They, they, it's, he's, they, he's been they convicted. They, they, they pulled him off They didn't try to minimize it. They tried to, like, eradicate it altogether. Right, that's what I'm saying. That that That's my argument. Like, not one person really talks about what he's done at all, at any point. And, like, everybody, just about everyone blames his actions on alcohol which I can't remember, it was a friend of his, but they basically said that I've been around Brock when he's been drinking before, and he's always the same happy person as he usually is. And I'm like, isn't that even counterintuitive? Like, if, he, if you've been around him a lot while he's drinking, he's always the same person that he usually is. Does that mean that he's a rapist while he's sober too? Probably. So since, since the judge sentenced Brock to six months in prison, or right. he won't even make it to he won't even get six. Yeah, yeah but I mean, he six. won't ever be transferred from the local jail. One million no. people have signed a petition to recall Judge Persky. Which, yo, he is problematic. But, but, problematic. Oh, okay. Let's go into that a little bit in a second. Okay. But before we go further, like, let's define what a recall is for people. So okay. a recall is a method of removing an elected official from office before their term has ended. And so California is one of those states that has elected judges, which I okay. think that could be an issue as well. In Virginia, our judges are appointed, but in California, they're elected. Judge Persky was appointed because there was like a problem. I mean, he there he lost the election and then right. there was like some random opening and another Stanford alum, let's talk about nepotism, basically appointed Judge Persky the job even after losing the election. So he was appointed initially. That's right. how he got his job. Yeah, so, but he's still considered an elected official. Which is crazy because he's not. But it is extremely, and I mean extremely hard to recall someone unless they did something that is considered, like, unless they participated in some type of criminal behavior. And up until this point, while we can say Judge Persky's actions were 
unethical, we can't say that they have been illegal. Because we know these types of things happen across the country every single day, but they don't, you know, they just don't get traction on national media. True. So, what makes this even more interesting is that Judge Persky, he had an election in June. A recent election in June. Yes. Like like this June. Yes, June 2016. Okay, so since this has been released in June, I'm just making sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> Yes, that was early June, and his election was mid-June. Okay. But he was unopposed on the ballot, and so in California, if you're unopposed, they don't have an election. Mm. You can't even do write-ins? I guess not, unless you officially file to be a write-in candidate. So, Judge Persky was just re-elected, and his new term doesn't officially begin until January. Okay. But, so... You know, a lot of people are talking about recalls. You can't officially start a recall until 90 days after the new term in California. So the problem is this might lose steam is what you're saying by the time it comes around. You really can't officially. It's like March of next year. April 2017. Wow. April of 2017. So literally one year from now they can start. So. Honestly, given the way that people's attention tend to roll and how, like, we are concerned with one thing and then the next day something else pops up and the way media... Will someone submit that petition in April of 2017 is what you're asking? Well, there's a professor from, from Stanford, once again. I think she's a law professor. She's the one that's organizing it. She's raising a lot of money. Okay. The truth of the matter is, as far as, like, a recall, you know, a lot of people... signing the petition but those are just unofficial petitions because only people that could actually vote for him are the people their signatures will count those are the only people that their signatures will count however there is something else that can be done but i don't know if it will if two-thirds of like their state legislature votes to remove him they can't will they though that's the question probably Probably not. not Yeah, you know, you threw out that N-word earlier. Nepotism is real. And so is cronyism. Right. It's all about who you know, who got you to where you are, how you see yourself in relation to other people. He's he's not going to be recalled. Like, and it's it's really unfortunate. It's it's my genuine hope that he understands like from this point on that that's not okay. It wasn't okay in that this case. Like you can't just say oh, hey, he's never been in trouble before, and let's just give him really three months. Yeah, so let's really, really, like, let's talk about really briefly about his, like, criminal history. So there is something, and I'm sure every state does it, Virginia does it as well, but California, they do something called a pre-sentence investigation interview. Okay. And so after the jury or the judge finds you guilty... A probation officer completes this interview with you, and that interview is supposed to help the judge with his sentence. Right. I read about this, and, like, what... Yeah. It was a female probation officer, right? Right. It was a female probation officer. So, the pre-sentence investigation interview, we call them pre-sentence, um, pre-sentence reports in Virginia. It's supposed to be an objective third-party assessment of a defendant's social, occupational, psychological, criminal, and medical history to assure that any sentence imposed is tailored to the defendant, not necessarily. But this is the thing that's problematic about that. It's when it's tailored to the defendant. That's basically saying we're allowing privilege to see, which we're going to go deep into privilege later. But like we're allowing like. Things that are not relative to deeply seep into to whether or not this person goes to jail, which allows for inequality and a lot of inequity across the board in terms of sentencing. But that's what the pre-sentence report is like. That's why it was designed that, you know, we won't have like these. It's really contrary to like mandatory. Which I don't I don't approve of mandatory sentencing either. Of course you do. I'm not a fan of mandatory sentencing. Right. And so they're supposed to look at this thing individually and say, we want to make sure that this person doesn't re-offend. And, you 
know, this isn't supposed to be cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, cruel and unusual, but this is cruel and unusual punishment to the victim. Like, this is part of the reason why victims don't come forward, is because you go through all of this, and then the person turns around and goes to county jail for three months, and you, what? And he has to register as a sex offender? But he still goes home to this cushy environment where everybody blames you? Like, nah, I'm not here for it. Yeah, so the female probation officer said that Turner didn't have a criminal history. He's youthful. So? He scored in the low to moderate range on assessment of recidivism. So recidivism is the likelihood that you will reoffend. Um, so she said that he was low to moderate on the assessment of recidivism relative to other adult male sex uh-huh. offenders. And that he, quote, Express sincere remorse and empathy, which is crazy. Okay, because like, okay, I want to know: Is she allowed <coughs> to like? She had this interview prior to the sentencing. In the letter that the unidentified victim wrote, she basically was like, "You're not sorry. All you guys keep talking about is alcohol and how there's a culture of alcoholism and how alcohol led to you, like." She basically says, you don't even have remorse. He has, his family has no remorse. All they're saying is, I'm sorry I drank too much. And I'm sorry that I intruded upon your personal space and completely violated you as a human being. Like, that's not remorse. There's no remorse there. Well, this is what she said. She said uh, during the interview, and I quote, the defendant demonstrated a comprehension that the victim in her state was unable to make an informed decision and in that moment he had a moral responsibility to act in her best interest okay that's not remorse that's just saying i did it and i know that she was unconscious i acknowledge that i'm a rapist but i'm not sorry for it right and so then her recommendation to the judge was that brock turner receive a moderate county jail sentence Three years of probation and be forced to like I'm legitimately disgusted. Which is exactly what yeah, because he he wanted the least amount of time to give to this man, and whoever offered him the least amount was what he was going to give him. Had the probation officer said 14 years, he would have went with the six years that was recommended by the prosecution. Right, and so we know many people have accused Persky of. I accuse him. Consideration to Turner because of the athletic status. Both of them were athletes at Stanford. But the probation officer also like took all that into account when she said um, the fact that his future prospects will likely be highly impacted as a result of his convictions. And he surrendered a hard-earned... Because swimming is a part of whether or not you're a rapist. Like, this is what I don't understand, and this is how it completely plays against people who are marginalized. So you're telling me if there was a kid who was from the inner city, and then even the victim, she says, she was like, if you were a person from a marginalized community, this would not be your story right now. If someone doesn't have to give up a a scholarship, then they need to go to jail for longer. Like, give me a break. The fact that he's a good swimmer has nothing to do with whether or not he needs to go to jail, whether or not he's a rapist. Like, this is dumb. Like, dumb. Yeah, cry me... Cry me a river. I mean, oh my God, he won't be able like, to compete whatever. in the Olympics. Goodbye. Man. Get out. And you know, I, in the future, I really like us to have some conversation about like this preseason yeah, it's, process. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because in a number of places around the country now, these probation offices are now privatized, and so they call it offender pay. And so basically, like. You know, if you're on probation in a in like a state sanction, I've I've read a study in like Kentucky. If you were in like a big city and committed a crime in Kentucky, like you don't what? pay for probation. Yeah. But if you're in like one of the less affluent areas of you know less populated areas, you pay like twenty five dollars for probation. And if you can't pay for it, which is crazy, what? <laughs> yeah, but. There has been a lot of information and misinformation about. Oh yeah, the there's just misinformation rape. about rape. 
And and something I want to talk about, you know, I have a friend who called me this week and he asked a question and I think it was a, you know, it was a sincere question, but it's definitely something we should talk about here. He said that, hey, I've just been reading that he didn't actually enter her with his genitalia he just entered her with his fingers Look, and so is you're about that to make turn rape? Up. and so we had a conversation <laughs> we had a conversation about what you know what exactly is okay rape. yo so, you're about to you know yes it what's, was what's rape it, what's like, rape danielle rape is here's the definition of rape rape is a type of sexual assault usually involving sexual intercourse so usually so what we ordinarily think of sex like sexual assault or rape has to do with sexual intercourse right but other rape is also defined as other forms of sexual penetration perpetrated against another person without that person's consent i don't care what he put inside her it doesn't have to be his genitalia it could have been anything that's rape there's so much information like misinformation surrounding what constitutes rape that mo- a lot of people don't even know like there are probably people who are walking around who are rapists that don't even realize that they're rapists which is Disgusting. Right. So I've seen a lot of conversation on social media about privilege. Right. Well, there's a lot that has, there's a lot of privilege that goes into this. There's male privilege, there's white privilege, there's a lot. So define to us, you know, what is privilege? Okay. So I can give it to you in terms of like, let's break it into two spaces, right? Let's break it into white privilege and then let's talk about like the privileges afforded to men because of rape culture okay so white privilege is basically a set of advantages that all white people benefit from on a daily basis beyond privileges that are common to like just human privileges okay so white privilege can exist without white people being consciously knowledgeable of its presence or how it has impacted them and basically it helps maintain the racial hierarchy that we have in this country For people who are having difficulty understanding the concept of white privilege, especially for white people who don't see it, because like I just said, it's, it can happen without you being conscious of it. I really, really encourage everyone to read the short paper by Peggy McIntosh called white privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack. So in this space, she creates a list of all the things or conditions that usually white people can count on to work in their favor that people of color or other marginalized people can't. So for example, just a couple of things that come right out of her, her list of the knapsack that she carries around with her with these privileges that she has. So number six on her list, she says, I can turn on the television or open the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. So as a white person, she can turn on the television and like on any given day, any given magazine, usually, and see people of her race. So aren't you doing something to combat that from the literary perspective? Well, absolutely. That's all I do is read. And so Coop is picking on me right, <laughs> right now because... I have this thing where most of my education, I was forced to read and watch things about white people. I read one, I believe, I'm pretty sure, one book by a black person in my K through 12 experience. And it was uh, Things Fall Apart by Chenua Achebe. And I just got inundated with it. And when I got to college and I got to start picking the books that I wanted to read, I mostly just read books about black people. Like, you'll probably notice that most of the book suggestions that I have are by black people, like, are for black people. So, yeah, I do combat that, but that's a conscious choice. I have to search for that. I can't just go in no, the library. I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about what are you that. Saying? I'm talking about your writing. Oh, yeah, I am. So, I okay. also am in the middle of writing a children's book called I'll tell you the name of it later I'm still working on it but I'm writing a children's book basically the issue that I find is that I've never except for one read a series about black people like black children like children series we got Judy B. Jones you got Ramona and Beezus you got Henry Higgins Nancy Drew the Hardy Boys the list goes on and on and on of all of these series Harry Potter about white kids where are the where are the series about children of color so I'm writing one. I'm, instead of complaining about the void, I'm creating a, a solution, as we like to do at Ain't No Free Lunch. It'll be on shelves in the next couple of years. 
Yeah, so basically in Brock Turner's case, his version of privilege is that he can physically, sexually assault, slash rape a woman and still have people and the justice system think that he had honest intentions and they are concerned about the impact of his actions, the the impact that his actions will have on his life. life. So they... Yeah, so they don't care about the impact of his act that his actions has on the victim. Right. They only care about And him. so the the victim is unidentified, so we don't know her race. But there's still white privilege that plays into this, like into his favor. So a lot of people know about the Brian Banks case. Oh yeah. He he was the guy who's like a top linebacker right. in the country, had a scholarship to play at University of Southern California. When they were big Huge. time, like right. Bush, um, he had already committed. He was, yeah, he was sixteen, tried and convicted as a as an adult. Oh, right. He didn't have, you know, didn't have a criminal history. He, he didn't right. have anything. So basically, he's. But but much like Brian, to me, he was kind of like for me. There are a lot of parallels between. His there are tons of parallels case. between them. Like just the fact that Brian Banks was even younger than Brock Turner. Even younger. He was 16 and he was tried as an adult. He turned down plea deals because he knew he hadn't done it. They're like, these are top tier athletes. You know, Brian Banks, it was also interesting because the vic I won't even call her a victim. The accuser. The liar. The accuser contacted him on Facebook and said, hey, I'd like to meet up with you and have a conversation. And so they met up, and he recorded a conversation where she said that, hey, I lied. You know, I should have never did this. I'm sorry for the impact that this has had on your life. And so, of course, you know, his charges were annulled at that time. But he spent five years in prison. And I'm sure that there so was So basically, he, he said, like, he was making out with a, a girl. He was 16. She was 15. And by the end of the day, he'd been accused of rape. He didn't do it. He had turned down countless plea deals because he knew he hadn't done it. He was sentenced to six years. At 16, had not even a speeding ticket. And he had ended up serving five years and two months. And Brock Turner, he's getting pulled off of a woman. They know that he's done it. He was, what, 19 at the time of the assault? 19, 18, like, an adult? And he gets half of six months. Yeah, I, I really did appreciate what, what Banks had to say about he the did. victim in the Turner case. And, and he said, and I quote, she has been totally ignored. She has to live with her hardship and tragedy. Right, and he also, he life. acknowledges that it's a case. He doesn't say white privilege, but he definitely says it's, like Banks said this about it. He said, I would say it's a case of privilege. It seems like the judge based his decision on lifestyle. He's lived such a good life and has never experienced anything serious in his life that would prepare him for prison. He was sheltered so much he wouldn't be able to survive prison. But what about the kid who has nothing? He struggles to eat, struggles to get a fair education. What about the kid who has no choice, who he was born to and has drug addicted parents or a non-parent household? Where's the consideration for them when they can commit a crime? This case is slathered in white privilege. Slathered in white privilege. And he's basically saying like, you didn't know that I had done it and I hadn't done it. I got six years. We know this boy has done it. He gets three months. Well, six months and bunny ears around it. But we also know that rape isn't, like, it's not a white boy thing. It's not something that only white people commit so we can't talk about Brock Turner just as a white male because we know people of all races commit rape so we have to talk like privileges steeped within rape culture so in closing let's kind of talk about right. a little bit about rape culture. Um, well rape culture is basically um, it's it's it was designed by feminists in the late 70s to show the way that society blames victims of sexual assault while normalizing male, but you, you know, sexual violence. Rape culture, the way that I see it, rape culture is when society tells me that I need to go to the bathroom in public places with a friend. Rape culture tells me that if my skirt is too short, which realistically speaking, if you don't know me, I'm six feet tall, anything that I put on is going to be too short by merit of the fact that I live in a society of short people and I'm eight inches above the height of an average woman, but anyone, 
Rape culture tells me that if my skirt is too short, that I'm not worthy of being treated as a human being. Rape culture is telling, and this drives me crazy, telling men, think about if you would like that to happen to your mother or your sister. Instead of saying, think about if this happened to you. Because women are humans. You are a human, we are humans. Don't put me in the place of your sister or your mother. Put me in your place, because we're equal. Rape culture is telling me that if I drink too much, if I dance too wildly, and don't actually say no, that I wanted it. The absence of a no is not yes. Rape culture is teaching boys to try to, con to keep trying to convince her after she's already said no. Rape culture is also saying that boys and men can't be raped because we teach them to always want it. Yeah, you know, that last point really resonated with me because I remember listening to Chris Brown talk about losing his virginity. Which, which is great. No, you were sexually assaulted. <laughs> like, you were molested. And, and he doesn't see the impact. You know, he was like, oh, no, she didn't rape me. Like, at eight. I wanted it no. at eight. And so, yeah, that, that last point really stood out to me. Because we, we have to understand that rape culture, it, it's not just about male versus female sexual violence. It, the door swings both ways. And to me, Brock Turner's sentence, though, is what happens when white privilege meets rape culture. What can we learn from the Brock Turner fiasco? You know, and how should we rectify miscarriages of justice? Well, you know, since we're all about solutions, I think we should just discuss like a couple solutions in terms of that. So I can, I'll go down the list of like how we can like kind of rectify rape culture. If you, can you talk to us about like how do we rectify, like even in this specific case, how do we rectify miscarriages of justice like we see in this case? So the, one of the first things that I think we should really, really evaluate is how we handle sexual assault cases. Right. Because I have a number of friends that have been victims of sexual assault. And they all talk about how they become the, they are blamed for Always. the assault. Oftentimes, even by the criminal justice system. You know, and, and how they have to continuously relive those moments. Sitting in those courtrooms, sometimes on the stand. And how they feel like they really don't have the support oftentimes because of the relatability between the defendant and the system. And I, I don't want us to get into this place of thinking that only right people, white people rape people. No, that's like that's why I said like we can't it's not an issue of just white people. It's not a white boy right. sickness. You're most likely to be raped by someone that you know. As with all crime, proximity right. crime, you're gonna right. you're gonna commit crime against people that you are close to, and in our segregated society, that's what happens. And even though I think the sentence should have been harsher, I don't know if we can control justice from the outside of the courtroom. Okay, go further. You know, I think we have to learn to become parts of the system, and unfortunately, I think that a lot of the hoopla surrounding the Brock Turner case will become somewhat moot. You know, it's almost impossible to overturn a case that a judge has already ruled on. Right. And Which is unfortunate, but it is what it I, I is. I think we are almost setting a dangerous precedent by calling for a recall here. Because really? And I'm I'm going to reiterate that I really do think that Brock Turner should have had a harsher sentence. But what if we tried to recall judges with every decision? Anything that we don't think is right, we just say, oh, we're going to remove the judge. Right, but I feel like judges should also be under that threat. Like, they shouldn't be able to just make decisions however they want with no recourse. But 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 that but I agree that you know we can't recall honestly, every decision, but there has to be consequences. Our system of checks and balances. Yeah, that's what they say. But again, nepotism. I, I agree. And, and like the system wasn't built if, for us. If we it was recall, built for them. It, if Persky is recalled, it shouldn't be based on his decision. He should be recalled based upon him presiding over the trial itself. Not because of the sentence. Okay, so the so because he should have been 
he should have recused himself because of right. the conflict of interest. And I think that should be okay. the angle. I understand. I disagree in some aspects, but I understand what you're talking about in terms of, like, there's a structure. We need to follow the structure. But at the same time, when the system's not built for you, it's hard to well, become a part of that system or even well, want to I, be a man, part of that I mean, that kind of goes system. back to, the, to, like, one of my initial points that we can't control justice from the outside of the courtroom. So, you know, I right. think we have to be at the table so we can help make these decisions. And for example, I, or flip the table I, I know over. a lot of people <laughs> are really, really resistant. Heck, I'm even resistant to it myself, like being a probation officer. But if think about the impact that the probation right. officer had on this case. Because a lot of people, a, a lot of people don't understand that you know it's probation officers do these pre-sentence reports, and and you know this was a female probation officer that gave the framework for his sentence, and Persky just agreed with her, and and you know if if and when a recall comes up, the first thing he's going to say is, "Hey, I just went with the recommendation of the probation officer." Mm. Yeah, so I think we need to later on investigate pre-sentencing investigation kind of when we have more time and like whether or not the officer is culpable for the sentence or I also think Judge Persky, he he has he can make that decision. I, I it has just been announced that outside of what he's been given that uh, USA well, Swimming has officially banned Brock Turner for life. I'm just saying though, it's 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 something. You know what I mean? I don't. I would. I don't want to turn around and see him in four years at the Olympics. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's it's a, an amazing solution, but I'm saying yeah, like he, he probably it's something. Something else. That or oh, he probably will. He's appealing his own case right now. But the penance of like he whatever just, he has. Uh, he what was he, considering appealing. I didn't know he was actually appealing it. I thought that he was actually appealing a lot. I, I'm to curious to know on what grounds would he appeal. Put down the actual like, answer in the show notes. You uh, know what? what what's are, it, aren't we all curious? Are we he's all admitted to doing it to making this poor decision? He's admitted to making a poor decision based on alcohol. Like, let's be real. But I think jumping from that. There are solutions that we can start thinking about and how to rectify rape culture. Because like we said before, I'm not, we're not going to go directly into how to rectify white privilege because this isn't just a white person issue. It's not a white boy thing. We need to start thinking about how can we turn the conversation? How can we start becoming active participants and destroyers of rape culture? So we need to rework how we talk about women. We need to take out, you know, certain words from our vocabulary. Whore, thought, Jezebel, you know, for y'all still living in ancient times. Sexual choices are the choices of individuals. You know, the number of sexual partners a woman chooses has nothing to do with how, whether or not she was actually raped. The number of partners that a woman has is completely irrelevant. The question's not what was she doing, wearing, or saying when she was raped. The right question is what makes him think it's what this is acceptable. What 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 about society? What have I participated in that makes people think that this type of behavior is acceptable? Quit with the or it wouldn't have happened if or it would have happened if narrative. It happened. We need to deal with it and we need to move on from that. J jumping back into the past and thinking about what a woman could have done to change what happened to her is disgusting. It happened. We also need to examine masculinity. What does it mean to be masculine? How are we teaching our children, both boys and girls, to understand sexuality as it relates to violent masculinity? But also, I think even more importantly, on top of all of those things that I think that we need to be doing when it comes to rape culture to destroy the structure that it's built is we also need to be very intersectional about rape culture in a way that we haven't been in b before. We need to understand that gender norms dictate a lot of what we understand about sexual violence. Men can be raped too and by women. We need to understand that Tons of people live outside of dictated societal gender norms, but that doesn't put them at any less 
risk to being sexually assaulted. More than often, it puts them at more risk. Our LGBTQ family stories often don't garner national attention, and they often experience sexual violence at alarming rates. And we need to educate ourselves so that we don't participate in a culture that only protects cisgendered women. We need to be thinking about this as consciously as possible. There's nothing funny about rape. So tell us what you think. How should we rectify rape culture? What do you think about the Brock Turner case? And tell us what you think about Ain't No Free Lunch so far. Yes, please, please guys, if you like us, share. Go on iTunes, rate and review. We need those. Danielle, did we eat today? I think we ate today. Like, I think we educated the people and ourselves on, on some deep level today. See y'all next week.